Let's pray. Father God, it was when your disciples were all together in one place that your Spirit came to them on Pentecost. We aren't all together in one place. But your Spirit is not limited in reaching us. So speak to us wherever we are, however we're connecting with this this morning. Amen. A few weeks ago, almost 13 million people tuned into the finale of the latest series of Line of Duty. And this makes it the most watched episode of any drama, excluding soaps, since records began in 2002. I've been watching the show for a number of years, and a few weeks into this latest series, I spotted something which turned out to be quite significant. A policewoman who was being coerced into helping a criminal gang was communicating with the mysterious character H in some kind of internet chat room. And one of H's responses included a single word. Definitely. And it was spelt as it was came up on your screen there. One of my Facebook friends that night pointed out that they were surprised that someone on BBC hadn't picked up that the word was spelt incorrectly. But, I mean, what's the series since the beginning? I just had this vague memory that someone had made that mistake before and sure enough that was going to be significant later. Okay, I've watched a lot of it. Uh, I spotted that. I'm a fan, but there are some people who are really obsessive about these kind of things. They'll spot all the little in-jokes, clues, references to something else which may or may not be connected with the actual programme. And sometimes these things are left there deliberately. They're, they've even got a name for them. They're called Easter eggs for some reason. I don't know why. Whereas, yeah, I like crime dramas, but they rarely have my full undivided attention. I'm quite happy to let Barnaby Lewis or Ted Hastings solve the crime for me. But there are others who are really invested in these things and they, they get really tuned into it and they can appreciate this stuff on an entirely different level. And that happens in lots of areas of life. Some of them are far more important and more serious than others. Doctors can sort through a mass of information being given to them by patients and spot patterns or symptoms or descriptions and make us realise there's more going on than we realise and maybe they'll pick up stuff that we wouldn't. I like listening to lots of music, but really I can't tell one part of an orchestra from another, really. But others would be able to pick out different instruments, maybe even different musicians within an orchestra because... They're tuned into that. A number of years ago, I went through a phase where I just gave up on Doctor Who. It all got a bit weird for me, as if someone travelling through time and space in a police box, which is bigger on the inside than on the outside, isn't weird enough. But some really big fans were loving it at the same time. There were lots of things they were picking up on that just went whoof over my head. 
and I was losing any interest, they were enjoying it more. They were investing it. They'd given themselves to really understanding something, and they were getting more out of it. And it enhanced their appreciation. They were developing eyes to see and ears to hear. And because of that, you could say to those who had, more was being given, whilst those like me who didn't, well, what we had was being taken away. Today, as we continue this series I've called Growing Back Better, we come to one of the more odd, unusual, maybe uneasy signs of Jesus. Those who have studied the Gospels, and as a result have developed eyes to see and ears to hear, notice a subtle change in Matthew's Gospel around this point. Jesus is facing increased opposition from Jewish leaders. He spends a lot less time teaching in official settings like synagogues and more in the open air, in public spaces. But his style of teaching also shifts. Jesus has always used word pictures, but it's at this point he really starts to primarily teach in parables. The word parable has lots of different ideas thrown together. It, it might be a riddle. Jesus is telling a story and trying to get his hearers to work out what he means by it. The word also has the idea of throwing things together. So Jesus takes something very ordinary and uses it in some way to explain something about God. It might be to say that God is like this or God is totally not like that. Or it might even just be to st stop listeners and make them think, Eh? You what? The sower is one of the first such stories that Matthew has Jesus tell. And in many ways, it's a parable about parables. But I really want to focus on what Jesus says after the story. His disciples come to him and say, Master, why have you started teaching in parables? And Jesus says something odd. He says, Though seeing they do not see, though hearing they do not hear or understand. He also speaks of those who have will be given more and in abundance, whilst those who don't have, even what they do, will be taken away from them. And it's followed by a quote from Isaiah that you will be ever hearing but never understanding. You will be ever seeing but never perceiving. For this people's hearts have become callous, they hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand in their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. And at one level, you can read that and think, did Jesus really not want people to understand? Did he not want them to turn and be healed? And okay, it may be the way of the world, that those who do have seem to get more and more, and those who don't lose out. But most of us consider that unfair. It's not a worldview we'd want to associate with God. Until you realise that what Jesus is talking about, having or not having, is a receptivity, an openness, a willing to hear, to learn, to grow, to understand. Parables have a great power. Most of us think in pictures rather than concepts. If you're struggling to understand something, but the teacher can relate to something you do understand or do know about, and say, well, it's a bit like this, it can be more helpful. 
It can be enlightening. Parables can start with something with which we are more familiar and help us to understand something which is so much bigger. But parables can be difficult things because they make you do some of the work. I'm not sure Jesus would have been a popular preacher in a lot of our churches. He didn't explain things neatly with three handy takeaway points that all began with the same letter. If a visiting speaker turned up here and said something like, a farmer went out to sow and some of the seed fell on this ground and that happened and others fell on some other ground and something else happened. And then they wrapped it up with, if you've got ears, listen. We might have been pleased that they were quite short. But I guarantee you that some of us would leave thinking, what on earth was he on? What's he talking about? Many of us want to be spoon-fed. Tell me the right answer. What I'm supposed to think or believe. Parables won't collude in that. Parables make us think. Parables can reveal or they can conceal. And which they will do will depend on whether we engage with it. Will we hear it and think, oh, nice story, Jesus. Or do we want more? Will we wrestle with the details and try to uncover what God is saying to us? Those who are prepared to exercise those muscles will find them growing and developing and strengthening them. But if we don't use them, they'll wither away. And to those that have that openness, receptivity, hunger, parables offer more and more insight. But if we're not interested, we'll miss the point. This might be an odd thing to say in a, in a sermon about parables, but sometimes it's good to be bad soil. It depends what you're bad soil for. Truth is that we're bombarded with information overload. We're being sold messages all the time and we have to sift out what is good from what is bad. And there are seeds, there are thoughts, there are ideas which some people will try to plant in your mind and it's a real blessing if they just bounce off you, if the bird's carried away, if it gets choked off at the root. Because some things are irrelevant, some things are needlessly negative, some things are downright untrue and some are full of spite and hatred. Then there's the good stuff. There's what God has for us. And we are blessed if that finds good soil, if it has space to sink in, to germinate, to flourish. Good gardeners will know that different plants and seeds flourish in different soils. So what conditions are we generating in our hearts and lives? What's likely to thrive in the environment we are creating? How good are we at discerning what's good, true, and worthy of our attention? How tuned in are we to seeing and hearing what God wants from us? What is the focus of our thinking? And is it worthy of our focus? We sometimes talk about giving oxygen to something. What are we giving oxygen to? What are we allowing our minds to focus on? 
Because what we feed will strengthen. And what we starve will wither. And if what we feed is good, healthy, life-giving, kind, it will thrive and we will thrive with it. But if it's negative and destructive, it's like fanning the flames of a forest fire and it will sweep away all that is good and true. Just as the doctor learns to wade through the mass of information being presented in the surgery and pick out what's relevant and important, developing eyes to see and ears to hear, just as the musician can pick out the sound of a particular instrument from the whole orchestra because they've developed the ears to hear, so it is with developing the kind of eyes to see and ears to hear that Jesus is talking about here. It takes time. It takes experience. In some ways, it's about being prepared to take risks. But it takes intention. Sometimes I think because we speak so much about grace, or at least I hope I speak so much about grace, that we can start to develop this idea that the life God wants for us, it'll just happen. Now, God does invite us into relationship, and he gives us his spirit by his grace. But we have to choose whether we're going to work with it. Jesus tells us to ask and it will be given to us. Seek and we will find. Knock and it will be opened to us. Ask, seek, knock. All very active words. God is at work all the time in all of us. God is reaching out to each one of us, seeking to draw us into relationship. God is a profligate God. He doesn't wait for us to be ready to reach out to us. God is casting the seed, seeking to develop new life everywhere all the time ready or not. And sometimes we catch it. Sometimes we sense it. Sometimes we get the merest glimpse of it. But all too often we miss it because we're not looking for it. Because it's not always obvious. Because it's sometimes ambiguous. Because it can be dismissed or explained away. I mean, on the day of Pentecost when the Spirit came and the disciples went out to share what God had done, there were some who got it. But there are others who thought, they're drunk. Sometimes we miss God completely because we're not expecting him. Or we're not expecting him to be like that. Maybe we've stopped expecting him. Maybe we've stopped exercising those muscles. We've stopped developing eyes to see or ears to hear. The soil we've generated has been more responsive to other things and that's what thrives, for good or for ill. But in grace, God isn't waiting for us to be ready. God is still reaching out, casting the seed whether we are ready or not. And for some, it will bounce right off. Often a reason is that we're not truly hearing or listening is because we assume that we know what others are saying. We think we've got it all sussed. Or perhaps, whether it's working for us or not, we've grown, grown to be quite comfortable with where we are. Others will hear and maybe even think it makes sense without it ever really sinking in and taking root. Others, it will get swamped with all the other stuff. We're busy, often with good things. But what God really has for us has no space to take root. But there will be others, open, open, 
willing to learn, explore, grow, risking and wrong sometimes, who will wrestle with what God is saying to us in this place, in this time. And they will be the ones who grow back better. It's not easy. It takes time we may not think we have. It takes patience that we might doubt we have. It takes intention. In a couple of days, I'll put up another short video which offers a useful tool to help us develop those eyes to see and ears to hear. And it'll be up to you whether you want to continue to explore. But we're not left alone to do it. Pentecost has come. The spirit which fell in those first disciples is still with us. He has promised that if we ask for eyes to see and ears to hear, he will give them. If we seek him and what he longs for us, we will find it. If we keep knocking on those doors, eventually some of them will open. The spirit can help us to sharpen our focus, to open our inner ear, to recognize his voice. And if we allow that to happen, we will flourish. And when that happens, there's no limit to what God can do in us and through us. Grace and peace be with you. Amen.